Welcome to the Ad Astra podcast. Uh, today we have with us Dr. Nicholas Campion. Dr. Nicholas Campion is a researcher in the history of astrology. He is the associate, associate professor in cosmology and culture at the University of Wales Trinity St. David. He is also the director of the Sophia Center for the Study of Cosmology and Cultural, and it is, he is also the um, director. Um, uh, the program director for the MA in cultural uh, astronomy and astrology, and is also the uh, editor of the peer-reviewed journal Culture and Cosmos. So, welcome, welcome. <laughs> to, the, to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Could could you please um, just give us uh, an idea of what uh, what is your research in history of astrology and in astrology in general? Um, so just for um, just for the viewers to have an idea, please. My concern uh, as a historian is uh, how we came to be where we are now. So the moment anything that happened in the past is conscious or in the record, it influences how we are now, today. So my interest in the history of astro astrology is, uh, it extends over the whole uh, history. So I'm not uh, a primary researcher in many areas, but I keep a general uh, interest in the scholarship in every area of the history of astrology and in uh, cultures apart from the West. So the West is my own culture. I try to keep up with research in China, India and any other area. Uh, my primary research is into contemporary astrology and its status in the modern world. Uh, but uh, the debates which surround astrology's contemporary status and the ways in which astrologers learn and think are deeply rooted in continuous debates and ideas which go back over two and a half thousand years. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> I, I keep up with research in the Renaissance, the Hellenistic period and so on. But, but my core interest is how such ideas are interpreted, debated and used today. Okay. So, so you, you, that is something that we have been talking about with several of our other guests, which is the that uh, uh, the history of astrology, of course, logically extends to the present day, as astrology has never really disappeared from from our cultural background. Um, we are more centered in the history of um, of science, so we are we are working in periods from the 17th century backwards, so more, more older than the 17th century. Um, so how, how, do you, how do you, as an historian of a, of a contemporary practice and a contemporary uh, culture, um, how do you approach it methodologically? Um, 
because the methodology uh, I'm just doing it here comparison between the methodology of something which is historical let's say medieval or, or ancient or something which is contemporary what are your primary methodologies mm -hmm. do you do interviews do you use sociological work what, what's the what's the processes that you've been using let me just just give you a little bit of uh, context for my personal background um, when I was applying to uh, return to academia to work for my PhD, which is now almost 25 years ago. Um, I was asking to look at the recent history of astrology and really to do oral history. But um, the university, which was going to accept me in, into the history department, eventually rejected me. They referred me to sociology. The sociologist said I was too historical. So <laughs> I, I, I then found a home in Bath Spa University where they had a very good study of religions department uh, focusing on alternative spiritualities and new age thought. And so modern astrology fits very well into such an area. So I added to my speciality as a historian, a speciality in the study of religions. And in the study of religions, it's fundamental that, that you know, everything exists in, in the present. Okay, so we might have an astrological ceiling in a Italian Renaissance building or a horoscope from the Hellenistic world. These things actually exist in the present and people mm -hmm. respond to them in the present. And so that added a lot to my uh, work as a historian in terms of uh, the understanding that even if we study the history of science in the 14th century, we're studying it as people in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Our intellectual framework is drawn from the 21st century. And whatever we uncover, whatever conclusions we reach, will be read by people in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. So I moved right away from thinking of history as a linear development stretching back into the past and became much more aware of it as constantly present in the you know, the day-to-day -day present. Yes. So my personal um, methodologies when I was doing my PhD were qualitative research interviews and questionnaires. So um, in anthropological terms, I was conducting an ethnography, a contemporary ethnography. Um, I, I still think that as a historian, I was doing oral history. I was talking to people who are, who are alive now about their ideas and their experiences. But I was in a study religions department, so we called it ethnography and qualitative research. So for that, I conducted about 50 in-depth, unstructured interviews, mainly with practicing astrologers. And I distributed probably about a thousand uh, questionnaires um, mainly at astrology conferences. This was before the time when we could do online questionnaires mm -hmm. to um, gather material. And my main interest was in uh, how 
astrologers, people within the astrology community, uh, respond to uh, outside statements that you know, astrology may be a, a religion, a science, or a quasi-religion, or a pseudoscience. So I was looking very much how those insiders uh, responded to such ex uh, external notions, because obviously uh, most of the public commentary on astrology, both as it is now, and often by implication as it was in earlier periods, mm -hmm. comes from people who are non-specialists, um, journalists, cultural critics, and so on. And they will generally define astrology as either religion or if they're being very, very negative, quasi-religion or science, or if they're being very negative, a pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. So um, as you know, a, a, an academic who'd adopted the study of religions as a method, um, I thought it was very important to allow practitioners to speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that was uh, fundamentally what I've, I, I found myself doing quite uh, unexpectedly as a result of first being rejected by his, history and sociology. Yes. Well, it, it, it well is. that was a very good, a very good outcome from this rejection. <laughs> that, that was a good rejection. Yes. <laughs> and um, when you when you interview these uh, contemporary practitioners, uh, do you find uh, some kind of uniformity in practices and ideas, or do you find many uh, diversity? Quite uh, a uh, diversity, <clears throat> particularly. Um, in terms of uh, how astrologers work with clients. So, for example, uh, there are some astrologers who uh, accept very strongly the importance of a quite rule-bound technical analysis of a horoscope. And there are others for whom the technical rules of the horoscope are less important than the interpretation of it and the engagement with the client. Um, so I you see, see those kind of modern debates as deeply rooted in ideas going back to classical times. So I would see the astrologers who follow today a more technical rule-oriented approach to the horoscope as maybe being sort of ultimately rooted in the technical texts which we know existed in the medieval period or in um, uh, you know the Hellenistic period, you know, Ptolemy, Vettius Valens and so on in the Hellenistic period. Um, <clears throat> whereas those who see the horoscope as more a means of extracting meaning and providing meaning to the client, I see as very much following in that the, the critical uh, neoplatonic point of view, rooted in Plato, but uh, also as expressed by philosophers like Plotinus, in which um, it's accepted that the, the sky, the stars, the planets 
contain meaning, mm. but the attempt to extract precise detail from pe for people's lives from a horoscope is ultimately doomed. Mm. Um, and both those ideas, for me, it seems are rooted in Plato, because I, I think you can read Plato either through his very mathematical conception of the universe as moving towards a view of the universe in which everything can be mathematically uh, uh, analysed, or through his scepticism, for example, in the metaphor for the, the cave, where ultimately we cannot achieve ultimate knowledge, as requiring uncertainty. So I, you know, I see very much Plato as the foundation for the major ways in which uh, modern astrologers in the West still work when they're dealing with clients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, all these um, different, apparently different ideas uh, coexisting today in mm. uh, modern practice. Um, have you found people who can, because as you know, f philosophically speaking, we can somehow uh, marry these two tendencies. Have you found people who were able to to do it to to join this to more the more um, strictly uh, bounded by rules and the more mm -hmm. neoplatonic, so to say? Before you answer, <laughs> let me let me just make a comment. Uh, uh, my current research has been focused on 16th and 17th century, where you already find this the difference between a very technical, mathematically uh, focused astrology and then you have also the more allegorical uh, interpretation of, of symbols. And what I've observed, curiously, at that time is that usually you find the two exactly. uh, combined in the same person. So you see people with a very strict mathematical approach perhaps in terms of calculation and in terms of determining the factors. And then the interpretation will include, uh, on top of that that precision, a, a layer, a, of, a layer symbolism. of symbolism, yeah. allegory that then can extend to more philosophical grounds, more religious grounds, depending on who's that, writing. That, that was uh, why I was asking, because mm -hmm. also um, Louise's uh, studies more the, the techniques of... Um, modern, early modern period, and I'm, I'm studying, I'm focusing on the medieval period, which I love, but we, we all need to have this uh, diachronic notion, we have to, to hold mm -hmm. it, to understand that all this exists in a flux of time. So this is why I was also asking, because you find this in, um, in the, the early modern and modern period, and I found some I don't know, some seeds of this notion in the medieval period, I would say, uh, like uh, here and there, you know. So this is why I was asking you mm. if you can find people today who are able to uh, marry, <laughs> to mm -hmm. mix, oh. combine the two tendencies. Oh, m most people. I mean, I think um, <clears throat> these different ideas between, you know, technical precision and uh, symbolic meaning exist on a spectrum mm -hmm. and you've maybe got a very few people at either end of the the spectrum and most sit in the middle so let me give you an example from uh modern thought and astrology this is from uh which was what was one of the main teaching schools in uh english speaking world astrology from the 1940s onwards till the present day the faculty of astrological studies 
Mm-hmm. Um, and now there are many teaching schools, but for a while in the English speaking world, it was almost the main school. So the, the student would be taught to calculate a horoscope very exactly using this before calculators and computers using logarithmic scales and, um, you know, taught that uh, if two planets are within uh, four degrees of orb of a 60 degree separation in uh, you know, zodiacal longitude, they're in a sextile, but if they're more than four degrees outside of that, they're not. So you get that precision, mm-hmm. but then uh, the uh, most of the uh, analysis was ba- is the, the, the faculty taught was based on character analysis, and so the student would be taught that uh, you know, somebody with the you know the sun in Taurus, but the um, I don't know the moon in uh, Pisces might be be you know, essentially somebody who loves stability, but in their family life uh, and their home life may be a little bit more fluid. So, you know, we understand the symbolism for that. Um, so they're straight away moving into uh, a character description, which at the same time is quite precise. Like you do like stability, your home life will be quite fluid. Um, but that certainty is then phrased in an uncertain language. Um, and then when it, they move into prediction, uh, the term for prediction would be the analysis of future trends. And so a trend could be seen in the future. So, you know, a, um, you know, a Mars-Saturn conjunction, which in uh, most astrology indicates, say, you know, a sudden crisis, maybe a full stop. You know, uh, Mars collides with Saturn. Um, the the student would be taught to to say to the the client, well, you may, when this aspect happens, experience uh, a sense that you a frustration. You can't quite achieve what you want, um, and then in would come some uh, uh, sense that the future can be controlled. And so the client would be told to maybe accept limitation for a while, but work around such such limitations, be disciplined. In other words, be Saturnine um, and work Mars uh, through these limitations, maybe acquiring a new skill, maybe making sure that your life is organized on firm foundations. And so, you know, there's a clear interpretive structure that combines an underlying certainty, like this aspect will happen in the future, together with an uncertainty as to how to mm-hmm. um, how to explain this to the client. So, Which, no. sorry, the, uh, the idea that uh, we can predict the time hmm. and and uh, quality but not the effect itself yes this would yeah. lead me to another question as an historian i'm sure you know that uh, uh, normally uh, contemporary people talk about uh, historical astrology pre-modern astrology as being overly deterministic overly fatalistic and as you know as an historian it's not it's not like that there are several ways of thinking of it so um 
if if you look at the the um, sources, namely Ptolemy and uh, Masahala, well, all the sources, in um, how do you how do you think? Uh, what is your idea about the 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 concept of determinism. I was avoiding the word evolve because I was asking, how oh, do you think the concept evolves? But evolving means that it's getting better. It's not necessarily that. How do you think it develops throughout time, this concept of determinism? Well, From just, the sources to... I mean, to start with, to address the, the point you made that a, a lot of modern uh, astrologers and other commentators uh, will... Uh, say that uh, uh, medieval astrology was more deterministic. Um, I think that they are, well, they're obviously misreading the older texts, but I think they're also hanging on to the Enlightenment critique of astrology, which mm -hmm. labeled astrology as deterministic. Um, and that critique was picked up by theosophical astrologers themselves. So, so, you know, Alan Leo uh, and the other early theosophical astrologers um, ad adopted this this perspective, and so did early psychological astrologers. You know, they were bringing in the idea of spiritual evolution in their views, which countered a more fatalistic, deterministic astrology. So, my view again is that. The fundamental debates were set out by not just Plato, but Aristotle and the Stoics. And so again, we get a, a spectrum between a sort of strict Stoic position in which the circumstances of life are absolutely beyond control. And all one can do is have an internal reaction to them. And then um, we have Aristotle, who's more of a complicated case because... Aristotle's own writings do suggest that you know, the human uh, psyche is subject to nature. Uh, and so one's you know, ability to uh, control one's future is, is limited by one's natural state. And then, of course, later Aristotelianism, particularly, um, I think following Alexander of Avradisius and then with people like Albertus Magnus and Thomas Aquinas, clearly uh, argues that the, the soul is completely free of direct physical planetary influence and subject only to God. And then uh, I think you know, <clears throat> the Platonic legacy can be read either as quite deterministic or or, or it can see the psyche is mm -hmm. also free from planetary influence. So, um, and, and those trends, those schools of thought existed right through the history of astrology. You know, one might have been more dominant at a particular period. So, you know, in the, from the 12th century to the 15th century, obviously Aristotle was very dominant. But Christian Aristotelianism, I think like Islamic Aristotelianism, allowed for an absolute freedom of the psyche so long as um, you were a devout religious god-fearing mm -hmm. person who was able to resist 
planetary influences. We still get that language of planetary influences in modern astrology, even though I don't think modern astrologers are usually aware of the legacy. So, uh, so yes, I think that one problem with uh, texts on how to read horoscopes is that they are written deterministically. And I think sometimes they perhaps were intended to be deterministic, but the, the problem is that uh, often, you know, the writers would be themselves writing a text that sounds deterministic, but assuming that a wider worldview is understood. So, you know, th there's the wonderful example in with Ptolemy, where you can take the Tetrabiblos as being very uh, deterministic, you know, Ptolemy sets out precise rules, and then in um, book one, he states that um, if we were unable to change the future, astrology would have no role in medical diagnosis, and therefore we must be able to change the future. Otherwise, there's no point in going to an astrologer. Absolutely. So, you know, that one passage subverts any idea that he was writing deterministically. And then, of course, we have the, you know, the, 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 the Chendilogium of you know, the pseudo-Ptolemaic work, which continues this idea that so every Islamic and medieval astrologer would be reading mm -hmm. these words and taking them as their foundation. Mm -hmm. Astrology has to change the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and there's an evident um, distinction between a theoretical text uh, and then the practice uh, which sometimes we see it very clear when we have examples of practice unfortunately they're not as common as texts uh, or as theoretical texts but you do see the practice they adjusting um, the interpretation the extreme interpretation, yeah, the extreme yeah. interpretation towards a human situation or something that can be somehow changed managed uh, in some sort of way. I, I always I call it the prophylactic <laughs> approach <laughs> because they would say, be careful of this, you can, uh, this can happen, therefore you can avoid it or at least diminish by doing this such and such thing. And we find this in medieval. Unfortunately, as we said, we have very little, very few, very few examples of practice. One of them I was fortunate enough to, to, to find in my, uh, it was actually the manuscript I studied in my PhD, two manuscripts of the same author, and he has three examples, it's precious. And we can see the doctrine, because the manuscript includes doctrine, and then the practice. And then we can see how, how he deals with it. So um, maybe what we need is more examples as historians. We all need more examples of practice mm -hmm. because we already have the doctrine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. Um, <clears throat> there's one wonderful example of practice that I love. It's from late in you know, the pre-modern period. It's um, the uh, English... Uh, natural philosopher Elias Ashmole, mm. who you who you know of, and he he was the patron to famous astrologers like William Lilly, very close to the king. Um, he conducted a couple of alchemical experiments, and he sets uh, out the time at which the experiments were conducted very closely. Two experiments um, conducted very close together, you know, and. Um, uh, the, in, in one, there's a very close relationship between Mars 
and mercury. And so he says, the hot metal jumped and burnt, burnt my fingers. <laughs> so, so there's this wonderful, very uh, exact relationship between the planetary symbolism and what actually happens in the alchemical experiment down to a very detailed level. But then, of course, Ashmol at the same time, um, he's well versed in hermetic writings, platonic writings, uh, scholastic writings, and he's a Christian. So he knows that above all, the soul is responsible to God and his soul can direct uh, these activities. So, you know, it's almost like at a physical level, um, that the, the metal jumps and burns his fingers exactly with the Mars Mercury aspect, but he himself is an autonomous person negotiating mm -hmm. with the physical level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Th that's what we need, these kind of examples. Mm. Uh, sometimes um, small examples, and uh, it's enough if you understand the rules to, to, to see how, how they were putting the rules in practice. Mm. Um, there is another, another thing, and I, I would like to, to return to something you said earlier, uh, in the beginning, about um, other types of astrology. Because we, we as historians, we look astrology to our time, but also um, in space, throughout geography, throughout other cultures. And we tend in the West to talk about Western astrology and then the other, other kinds of astrology. But what we have um, uh, been um, aware of, we have been made aware of, is that they are all connected in several ways so uh i would like to because you mentioned this i would like to see what is your uh views on um the so-called other forms of astrology yes we talk about other forms of astrology and i i used to as well i'm gradually trying to force myself out of my you know western identity and think well to uh, you know an aztec uh in the uh, 1500s, the Spanish were bringing a different kind of astrology. So, but there are connections. Yes, there's the obviously um, reasonably close connections between astrology in India and astrology further uh, west. And then we know that China too uh, had you know, long distance connections with Indian and Persian astrology, which themselves connected up to Europe. Um, <clears throat> there's one very nice example to show the, in, I think, the interaction of such astrology, which is, I think, in the horoscope for the foundation of Baghdad, which we know was, you know, chosen by a committee of astrologers. And, uh, Generally, the, the horoscope is very fortunate. Uh, you know, Jupiter rising in Sagittarius, trying the sun in Leo. Um, it, was, but, it was actually by late July, I think, because the sun has just entered Leo. So it's... Yes. We are close to the anniversary. <laughs> yes, we are. We are. Yes, yes. Um, so very positive. But uh, with Mars in... Uh, 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 setting, I think, in, in Germany. Mm -hmm. I suppose yes. 
to Jupiter. And so that Mars is fatal. If you uh, look up you know, in any Hellenistic text, you know, difficult Mars aspects, it's terrible. And no astrologer could have chosen a chart with Mars in such a position, even if Jupiter and the Sun were so beautifully placed. But um, the solution is found in the Indian texts. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and I, I'm speaking from, from uh, uh, memory here, but Mars in the position it is in the Baghdad chart is um, no longer malefic in Indian astrology. In fact, uh, I'm speaking from memory here again as well, but it can be benefic. And so, you know, we know that uh, there was at least one Indian astrologer on the Committee of Astrologers who chose the, found, uh, the chart for the foundation of Baghdad. So while for people like Mashallah, this Mars would have been, if they were using Hellenistic texts, Mars would have been profoundly unfortunate for the Indian astrologer on the panel, this would not have been a problem. And so the foundation chart for Baghdad, in my opinion, is a beautiful example of a, a syncretism between um, astrology, which had an origin in Hellenistic texts, and Indian astrology, which had in you know, five or six hundred years developed certain different rules. Mm than it had inherited from Hellenistic astrology. So a beautiful, you know, there again, it's a practical example yes. of, mm -hmm. of astrology from now, uh, from cultures which had diverged being used together. Yes, Did they say why Mars was no longer, I'm curious, <laughs> personally. No, no, you well, know, say in, 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 in any uh, uh, astrological text, rules are just stated aren't they usually mm. uh, they're not they're, they're, a reason is not given they are not yeah they're not explained yeah, yeah. well it's, yeah, a... it's not explained um but uh, again I'm, I'm speaking from memory but i have those details i've written published a paper on this mm -hmm. yeah. oh oh i would like to to read it yes mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll we'll try to find it okay. I, yeah. well i would ask i would like to ask you a little bit about um the, the Sophia Center and the, the, the MA that you, you coordinate. Um, um, how is it, how is that, has it been the experience of teaching the topic of astrology in, in current day academic uh, environment? Because it's not, as, as, we, as we started the, the, our conversation, it's not always a topic that um, fits well into into either an historical, religious, or uh, even philosophical program. Astrology has always this hybrid. <laughs> it's like an hybrid. Yes, I mean, um, I, I, as we know, um, a lot of academics and you know skeptics and external commentators just get very upset at the very mention of the word astrology. Yes, um, and and they would think that if it's used in a university program, you are somehow giving this dangerous practice some credibility. Um, so when uh, we created the MA in 2002, now I was involved in two separate strands of uh, inquiry. 
um, there was, you know, one was the history of astrology, in which, you know, Patrick Curry, my then colleague, was very, very active and influential. Mm-hmm. And I, I was as well. But my <clears throat> another focus, another area I'd got involved in was the study of cultural astronomy. Mm-hmm. And co- the study of cultural astronomy it, it emerged out of studies of archaeoastronomy in the 1970s. You know, so beginning with the you know astronomers' a- attempts to find astronomical symbolism in archaeological sites notably Stonehenge and you know, the Great Pyramids. Uh, so uh, the term cultural astronomy was around, but it was quite limited in scope and, and still is. So um, I, I thought that if we created a programme, it could actually look at the whole culture of astronomy and astrology. And of course, we know that the separation between the words astrology and astronomy is only a feature of the modern West. It's completely anachronistic when applied to the pre-modern period and totally anachronistic when applied to any culture outside the West. So we created the MA in Cultural Astronomy and Astrology. And it's actually a a fact that putting the word astronomy first alters people's attitudes to the Mm -hmm. whole program. The third person who we created the program with was Michael York, who was actually my program director for my PhD, my my lead supervisor, and his area was New Age studies and religion. And so uh, we did develop a strong uh, religious Mm -hmm. focus in uh, the MA. And it's it's, it's, uh, humanities based. And so there's elements, there's a strong historical focus, a study of religions focus, some archaeology, a little bit of sociology. Um, and we find that, you know, that there's a great overlap between those programs, if we, of those subject areas, if we look at the official descriptors. So um, probably I, I would say the program is <clears throat> equal parts philo- history and anthropology with mm-hmm. some philosophy and uh, some archaeology. But but so so you know we we created a a totally rigorous academic program, and so <coughs> there's no problem uh, with it in the wider world. And we've we very we do extremely well in the University of Wales, Trinity St David. Mm-hmm. And and um, to add a bit also to your work, uh, the the culture and the cosmos journal has been i think one of the references the references yes. for any studies of astrology uh, from many points of view historical and otherwise mm-hmm. uh, in academia for quite some time mm-hmm. um, you do have studies into the history of astrology popping up in other other journals other peer-reviewed journals but i think culture and cosmos has been oh. I think the, the main central, focus, yeah. yes, the main focus of this of these studies, and it is already like a very well established name in this area. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is it is a very good, uh, very good uh, reference for people who yeah. want to study art mm-hmm. models in mm-hmm. uh, articles in um, in this in this uh, in this kind of studies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would ask you. Um, 
how is the the journal going on and and that you have plans for the future how 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 is the project uh, yeah um yes uh right at the moment um it's uh it's slipped into being rather late i'm still uh i've, I've finished the uh the uh <coughs> winter spring 2019 issue so it's a year late but we've got material to bring it up to date um <clears throat> and uh that's you know partly because I'm the sole editor and I've had other big writing projects so it's slipped a bit but we've got the material and um, that'll all be uh, up to date very soon I hope we are still engaged in putting the entire bat catalogue online mm -hmm. but found that some uh, some papers and some issues needed um, uh, re-editing so we're stalled in somewhere further copy edits are necessary but uh, I hope that very soon we'll have the entire back catalogue online uh, open access and that we'll be up to date to the the present mm -hmm. moment. That's that, wonderful. that would be wonderful. I, I think uh, only people who work with editing are the only ones who know how much work there is yes. in it mm. because people who are just reading from the outside think it's kind of easy and fast but <laughs> I, I, we know it isn't we know it's it not isn't. A, it's a lot of work, of work. <laughs> yeah i know it is because you receive a, a paper for submission which you know has maybe some very interesting ideas but uh it may be badly written references are missing the structure mm -hmm. is poor and it can take days to work on mm -hmm. an essay uh which you think you know needs needs to, to be published but has problems and that you know includes reviewers time as well and of course you know reviewers give their time voluntarily mm -hmm. as we all do yes yeah. it's, just, and it's a lot of time <laughs> yes mm. yeah we know so yes only people who work with editing know how much work it is it mm. is mm. well but it, it is uh, it is still worth it because uh, when you see the the published work and when you see the final result, it's it's very rewarding. Yes, and it's, uh, mm -hmm. the, the the magazine in this case, Culture and Cosmos, provides a, a very um, valuable repository uh, of mm -hmm. a lot of research uh, being done at various levels and field uh, history of astrology mm -hmm. and in all all all, all areas, fields, all yeah. all fields. Mm -hmm. So it's I think it's been it's been a um, how shall I say? A, a reference. A reference. I would yeah. say a reference. I'm trying yes. to find another word, but a reference in in the studies. Yes. So. So I. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> we have uh, talked about. Uh, yes, we have addressed, addressed several of the uh, main uh, topics. There would be much more to say, but mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, for now, and uh, you are obviously welcome to return if if and when you want to. Uh, and we are going to say goodbye for now. And thank mm -hmm. you very much for accepting this, being our guest in the podcast. And, and we hope to have you uh, on other occasions. Uh, yeah, sometimes. So thank you, Louise. Thank you, Elena. Thank you for a really stimulating conversation. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>